I think it's all the yeah. above because I think they fuel each other. Like I think the being upset eroticizes it more and then makes it better later because mm-hmm. they don't like anything simple. They like everything, uh, you know, mm. full of conflict. So and he's charged. Yeah, yeah. Because look at the whole SNM. Like, you know, okay, I'm going to be the submissive, but I'm the one who's controlling the interaction and you have to properly um, you have to properly dominate me and you're right. fired if you so don't. setting the tone. And, uh, yeah, and all types of stuff. Like, they, they like those conflicting because that's what tension and drama, like, they have to find all these ways to enhance, like, you know, whereas we just want to just hook up with somebody and just have sex. Like, we don't really need... On the more, we're thinking about it on a very basic level. Yeah. Just feeling a very urge. Let me get in here. Let me get laid. All the mind games and magic tricks and bullshit, you know, it's like, okay, we don't need all of that. Yeah. I, I'm attracted to you physically. You're attracted to me. Let's do this. You know, all the extra bullshit. Let's, we don't need all of that. Let's yeah, yeah, exactly. And I feel like when, when make this happen in the most efficient way possible. Yes. And I feel like black people are <coughs> uh, very used to socializing and dating white people. They start adopting those same dynamics. That's why you see all cool. those um, black blavity, BuzzFeed type writers who are big into dating uh, white men. If you notice, they always have a side hustle of writing about kink and writing about all this extra stuff. And yeah, I think like, why does that always go together? Why is it when that all of you are black bougie writers that love to, you know, date white liberal men always have a side hustle of sex positive kink BDSM. And it's like, because working all that just into your relationship naturally. Even their friendships have a BDSM element. What I mean by that is, when you look at all the white privilege talk, that's a BDSM platonic friendship. And what I mean by that is, they're spending all this time reaming out their white platonic friends about, this is how you showed privilege. This is how you transgressed. This is the microaggression you did. This is how you could be a better ally. And they're just like basically abusing these people and then the white liberal ally will be like, oh, I'm sorry, how can I do better? I'm sorry, I'll do Ooh. better. And I'm like, no, this is, this is some straight BD. A masochistic yeah, kind yeah, of... Yeah, a masochistic yeah, the white ally will keep coming in in um, this. The white ally is like the client. Like, you know, he's signing up for the BDSM, but he's really the one in control. Right. You have to keep properly yeah. abusing yes. him with talk of his privilege or he's going to find another black person that can do it better. I think the BDS and it's I think it's bi-directional yeah. too. I think because I think that there's something that the black people that do that are getting out of it. Oh, as totally. Well. They get the pleasure stimulation, but then they also get to get off on that that victimization fixation as well too. And they can pull that at any given moment. They could say, "You're victimizing me. You're taking advantage of your privileges over me." And they have to keep that card. They have to be able to pull that out at any given time because that's a part of what appeals to someone who is is a masochist. You know, they have to have access to that pain at any given moment. And so I think it is bi-directional. I think they're getting something out of it. And I think that um, the white ally is also getting some sick, twisted satisfaction out of uh, the interaction. And something else, something else with BDSM, right, is uh, because... To, to save and more, 
this black girl that I was dating, mm-hmm. that used to date white guys, she was into BDSM, and she would constantly try to get me, she would constantly try to get me into it. She would always try to introduce all this kink, and I'm just like, I don't want to do that. That's just weird. You know what I mean? I'm just a regular black blue collar guy. I don't into all this stuff. But she was into that. And that's kind of when I kind of started seeing there's a big connection between the whole um, bed wenching thing and the um, BDSM thing. Like, like there, there's a kind of relation there. And they even have they even have it in their platonic um, dynamics. Uh, you know, I was wanting to go back to your uh... their friends, but 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 but, but, but this, was, this was really interesting. Hold on, let me just finish this point real quick. This is what was really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. The the one thing I learned from her is a lot of these submissives were actually super powerful people, a lot of them, in their regular lives. And they were so powerful that wanted to experience the illusion of powerlessness, powerlessness, like help, but helpless. Yeah, of helplessness. But there were such power freaks that even that they had to control and be uh, in charge of. So it's, it's really, they want the illusion of, powerlessness but you have to be significantly comfortable in your power and status to willingly uh engage in that whereas i think when you don't have power and status you don't feel as comfortable even play acting powerlessness you know what i mean so Hmm. i think what the submissive gets out of it they want the illusion of power and being that they don't have real power even the illusion of it is enough to make them happy. Like they're satisfied with the illusion because they've given up on ever having like, you know, the real thing. So they're happy having the illusion of power and play acting and pretending that it's real power. But the submit, but the dominant is really in a lot of ways, actually the lower status party. The submissive is actually the one who's kind of calling the shots and has to be pleased and has to be, but you have to have a certain amount of power and comfort to be, uh, and I think that plays out in a lot of these uh, friendships and the relationships. It's, it's really the ally yeah. who's in control yeah. of the white industrial ally complex. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Yeah. Were you finished with your... Were, yeah, wait, yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah. to... I'm finished. Okay. There's a flip side to this um, where the white partner, particularly the white male partner, plays the role of the dominant and the black female partner plays the role of the submissive. And and uh, that plays out in that that uh, one uh, portion of kink called race play. So now the tables are kind of switched where the white male plays the more traditional role of a dominant master and the black woman plays the role of the do- of the um, submissive. Where does that come into the whole thing? at? Because I know that uh, I don't it's not as popular as as the opposite that we were just discussing but it's something that uh is becoming common now i guess yeah i can tell you where i think that comes from right and i think you see it with trump supporters there's a certain type of white guy who is in a precarious position he's white and he feels like being white should afford him more status than it does but at every twist and turn he feels he's in danger of becoming a nigger at any moment he's got a fear of being like you know uh he's living in communities that are becoming more ravaged by drugs there's a uh, meth you know he's being out his jobs are getting outsourced so his his financial security you, you know like being white used to mean something and for him and his class it doesn't mean what it used to you know what i mean and i think those are the kinds who because like even though it's like high status white people white people who um like we look at these like liberal elites and stuff they don't care about making an all-black um, Hamilton, or they don't care about ch- putting a black 
stormtrooper in in Star Wars or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, we're like, we're white. Our power is secure. I come from money. I went to the Ivy Leagues. I have a six-figure job. And my severance pay when I get fired from one of my jobs is more than what a lot of other people actually make at their salaries. You know, they have room to make concessions. You know, they have room to be like, hey, I don't care if you're making all black Star Wars. I'm going to get rich off of it. I own the franchise. You know, whether I care about the optics, you know, I run the company. That all black thing is just going to make me money. Whereas that mouth breathing, uh, basement dwelling uh, chud who's frequents like the uh, comic book boards making racist comments. Say that again. Mouth breathing. Uh, Chud. What'd you call him? Chud. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. yeah, He is like, he has to scramble for every bit. He has to extract as much value out of being white as possible because he struggles in his daily life to really think what actually does make me better than a black person. You know, Mm. I think those are the type, like he's the kind of guy that every little concession, even if it's just representational optics, that doesn't actually make a difference. Feels like a loss to him. Like like that black stormtrooper. Oh my God. Oh wait, white genocide. A black guy is dating a white woman. Oh my God. It's one less white woman. Like he's counting every single thing. Those are the types of white guys that I think like they're the analog, like they're, they're like the overseer on the plantation. You know, you're just a step above the slave. Yeah. You're not the plantation yeah. owner. That's the kind of guy yeah. who fantasizes about being the plantation owner. So he's the one that in the race play, he's not willing to be the submissive in the race play because he has so much anxiety that he might really be a nigger. You know what? I'm thinking of Harlem Knights. Remember the detective or the, 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 the cop that uh, Bugsy Calhoun was using as his muscle to harass um, yes. Phil Cantone. Uh, Sergeant Phil Cantone. Phil Cantone. Right. That dynamic kind of played out in, in the in the loving using this movie as a, as an analogy that dynamic kind of played out in that remember Sun, uh, Sunshine? he he wanted yeah he wanted to go harder on um on uh sugar ray and 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 quick yeah. he wanted to go harder yeah. and take yeah. everything remember he said i wanted to leave you barely just yes. enough so you can eat and survive but bugsy is much more generous than i am that dynamic, which you just described, played out in that movie and that in, in those particular scenes. Yeah, and you see I, a lot of the slave movies. A lot of times, the overseer has to be reined in by the plantation master. He's like, you know, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. needs that power more. Than, he needs that uh, performative power more than the plantation master does because everyone knows the plantation master's status. He's comfortable in his status. You know, uh, he's the kind of guy that can right. be willing to play. A submissive because everybody knows at the end of the day he has power to spare yeah yeah and i I think those white guys who are who do who do the bdsm with black women but or black men who but want to still be in that power position they're the ones who uh you know they have no status to spare they like like we always joke that like for working class white guys the the version of um you know how black people always think that they were kings back in Africa and stuff and I'm saying like for working class white people they always think that in another life they were a plantation master or if they were back in um, plantation times they would have been the head of the plantation and stuff like if you want a good example you you know what Artie Lang is? Yeah the comedian 
yeah yeah that guy do you remember when he said all that crazy stuff about um that that beautiful sister who does the sports commentating um pretty girl there's with a c um what was her, what, what was her name her name was uh oh oh, oh carrie carrie champion oh. and he she does yeah yeah and um he did all oh, these crazy oh, yeah. tweets yeah, yeah, yeah. and this these were um these were his, his tweets um he said he's talking about it went like this for the record the 47 year old's fantasy scenario had gone something like this lang cast himself as thomas jefferson and the espn personality as a quote-unquote slave he attempts to desire because he attempts to whip because she disrespected the jefferson plantation he described her whipping him instead and running for freedom with the two of them eventually getting married and having eight children together and he tweeted this long slave master slave fantasy you know where like you know he's whipping her then she gets the whip and whips him and whatever and you know it's very interesting because if you ever read his wikipedia and see his thing the chances that he ever um descended from slave masters is like not happening he's comes from like, uh, if i remember right like working class white yeah yeah Artie, Artie Lang right. is um Artie Lang. what's his what's his early life I, I look it up now yeah he was he was born in livingston new jersey raised in union township union county of italian descent his, his mother is italian and a housewife his father was German and Native American and a general contractor who installed television antennas. You know, um, he, he's like a blue collar, uh, New Jersey white guy descended from Italians and Germans. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, why would he uh, yeah, fantasize yeah. about being the slave owner? In the no, world? I see that, 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 that makes yeah, perfect that's not, sense. That's not, yeah. Those are the guys that are constantly counting. Well, because, you know, everything is, everything has been, uh, yeah. Everything is, you know, it's white now. They don't have their, you know, their original. Eth- I mean, they do that too, but they're white, so they just everything applies to them. You know, all the, ex- you know, except for the bad shit, all the great stuff applies to them. You know, they, they built this country. They, you know, whatever, all these inventions and every, you know, and they, they, they'll let you know. Too, they'll, they'll, all that yeah, all yeah, that yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they, they're, they're responsible for. I don't care. His dad was building that TV, TV antennas. But he made one for the space shuttle, probably or something. I don't know. And that's why Obama trolled them so well. And you know how this got under the skin is that they still bring this up to this day. They bring it up to this day, yeah. When, when, when he said you didn't build that, do you remember when Obama yeah. said that? Oh man, they they went ape shit over that. Yeah, yeah. Obama he got pushed her button so hard with that. Uh, he, he he said because. Uh, I didn't even realize that at first. They, they said that, yeah, yeah. He's, how, how? No, I know how bad, how bad, how hard they took oh, that. Yeah, like, they took it. They took it really hard when when he told those white people like this stuff that you're bragging about. You didn't build that. It pissed them off, and you know it. They bring it up to this day because like, people still tweet that at me. It's like, oh, you make you know argue. what? Yeah. God, I'll be damned. Somebody tweeted. We were arguing with with one of those people on Twitter one night, and they brought that up when I was talking. We were talking about civilization and how knowledge gets passed on from from civilization to civilization, and that's how you know we get to where we are today. Nobody just made shit up on their own. It was all a collective 
Yes, cool. now, yes. I remember that Twitter that, that Twitter battle. Yeah, and somebody yeah, brought that up yeah. to you. They said, uh, somebody oh, brought that shit up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It pisses them off. Is it? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, you didn't build that. Like, like he was saying oh, that um, Obama's. You did. You didn't build that speech, huh? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and <laughs> like uh, I remember, I told one one of them, I was like, all these people that you're talking about, your ancestors were like uh, cleaning the toilets. You weren't, you know, <laughs> your ancestors weren't doing the inventing. Your ancestors were uh, the people who were their niggers before they got before black people entered the picture. You know what I mean? Right, right, yeah. right. And, and they really get invested in trying to prove to you that, you know, they're, they're really something in life, you know, when you tell them that. I remember, um, remember that guy that uh, we were fucking with him about his Rolex? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> and this fucker, he, he, yeah, that was funny. He's, he, this fucker's taking pictures of his arm, you know, and I was fucking with him. I'm like, no, that's not the same one. That's not the same Rolex. Yeah, the and, arm looks a little different. And he kept taking all oh, these you pictures. You got all that different shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he kept taking all these pictures to try to prove to you that he really oh, was something. And, and then you get him to like put a stack of money and then you like, like yeah. and then you like prove it's yours. Um, yeah. Pictures, then like, I said, okay, I won't believe it unless you go outside and stand next to your 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 mailbox with your dress on. You know, <laughs> then that's when he stopped. <laughs> but then what was funny was that even like some white people, because I, I think some like white leftists and stuff even started clowning him. They're like, they're, they're like yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They started clowning him. But then he thought, yeah, he had the his at name. Yeah, like he, he would his, put his, he put his Rolex next to you guys' at name. Yeah, like at, at the time, yeah. the day. And like what you said in your tweet, yeah, yeah he and, would and, he further and further to try to prove himself. And, and, it was, and he wasn't realizing oh, yeah, that we were clowning him. Fine. And I think one of us uh, ended up pointing out. He goes, "You know, if we're so inferior, why are you going through all these links to, to prove yourself to us?" <laughs> like you know. And he said, "I wish I remember what he said." He said something to try to save face. I think he realized that we kind of got yeah. him after doing all that. Right. You guys were, he's like, you guys were calling me lie, a liar. I just had to prove I wasn't right, a liar. Right, right. Jesus, what a fucking idiot, uh, man. Why would you believe like, Why would you care? I'm, I'm an right, inferior being. Right. If I don't believe you, who right. cares? But he does care, so that, that proves that, you know, he knows what the deal is. He's not superior. Yeah. And he going knows. Back, going back to that original story that started this thing, Time at the Barn, when, when I said that there was um that white girl and the black guy kept trying to talk to her, who was kind of hood, and then that uh, white guy was kind of talking to us. What was ironic about that was the whole time she was trying to like look at me and my cousin and smile and wink, but this guy was so fixated on the hood guy, and I guess marking us as a safer guy, he didn't realize like what she was doing toward us. Oh. And I said in the story at one point. Um, I realized I had recognized her from a previous time seeing her at the bar, and then she had said, "Oh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that's probably true because I think you're cute." And then I was like, "That probably fucked his head even more." And and I, and when he said he probably went home and started like uh writing on Stormfront, but I just find it this is very and and this conversation that that I'm having, this is why I'm saying I love those movies like Mandingo and Drum, because I swear they, they're so prescient. If you watch them now, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. And I feel like a lot of times, because uh, people didn't really quite understand how much that dynamic is still with us, 
it just looks like exploitation. But I, I mean, it is exploitation. Yeah. They're exploitative movies, but I think they touch on a lot of a lot of heavy shit, man. It's raw. It's raw and it's real. I mean, they don't. They don't. It is. It doesn't come out of air. You know, art imitates life in a lot of ways. And you know, the people that wrote that movie understood that dynamic between you know the races and between you know that they understood that and it's still i mean like you said it didn't go anywhere it's still here it's you know if if you look for it you can find it you know what mike you brought up a good point about the persistence line uh when we were off when we were off air remember you were saying um why he had to keep bringing up that the guy's persistent oh yeah yeah well, yeah, you know, he's 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 putting an excuse out there for why if she does happen to go for the guy, it's mm-hmm. not because he really wanted to. It's because he just he was so persistent. He talked his he, way. He wore, he, he wore her down. He, he wore her down. So it's like, on one hand, he's almost trying to convince himself that he that that, she, that the guy doesn't have a chance and, you know, trying to speak it into reality. But on some level. He's still giving himself an out, an insurance policy. In case it does happen, he, yeah, he puts exactly. out, yeah, these brothers are so persistent. You know, I never met a, I never met a brother who wasn't persistent because he has to believe that if it does happen, it's because she was just wore down by it. Like, if I was that persistent, yeah, sure, that would happen. I just have too much pride to be that persistent. I could get laid by her. Something else about that persistence line is, I said in the past episode that in the mind of a racist guy, all sex between a black man and a white woman is rape. It's on the spectrum of rape. If such a thing exists, if imagine if rape exists on a spectrum, like to them, it's all rape. As long as there's a black man and a white woman involved, even if it seems consensual, it's just a rape that the white woman hasn't realized yet in their mind. Because there's no way you can have sex with a black man and it counts as informed consent, even if what you're not informed about in the act of you consenting is the fact that the black guy is supposed to be subhuman and beneath you. See, like, you're not informed about that. So, in a way, because you're not racially aware by the standards of the white racist, you as a white woman did not give informed consent because you we're not aware enough to realize that you're dating or sleeping outside your species, so to speak. So I think that persistence line also speaks to the fact that, okay, if all sex between a white woman and a black man is rape, then all attempts to get sex by a black man with a white woman must therefore be attempted rape. So Therefore, all attempts by a black man to sleep with a white woman is a form of trying to rape her. And we kind of saw that with the visuals and the optics of that whole uh, street harassment campaign. You remember that? And they made the visuals of it. You know, just all these uh, black guys saying, hello, good morning, good afternoon, looking good, you know, to a white woman. And it was kind of presented in a way that was kind of to make the woman look like she was in danger of getting raped, that she was in sexual danger. And I think that street harassment campaign was made to cater to those kind of racist tropes that exist even in uh, white liberals. So 
Yeah, I think when he said, oh, every brother is persistent, I think that word persistence was meant to exist on the spectrum of attempted rape. Like, persistence is a euphemism for um, trying to rape. Like, like, basically, if she gave in, that would be her succumbing to his uh, persistence, a.k.a attempt to rape because for his ego he could not let himself believe that she gave in willingly and with full knowledge and has to take full responsibility for doing so uh, what's, what's interesting to me what's interesting to me is is you say he's from south africa and, and like that whole mentality is is seems like it's global with uh with a, with a certain segment of these white guys you know like like, where do you come with that? I mean, he, they already manifest the same type of uh, white supremacy and ideology that we yeah. have here, there. I, you know, you would think it'd be different. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why I thought it would be different. One of them always but, says that they get it uh, through osmosis. And I always thought that was very interesting. I never understood what they meant by that. I th- was it Neely Fuller? Or I think it might have been. Yeah, uh, I think Neely Fuller, Fuller did say that. Until they, they pick it up through osmosis. But it's interesting that the osmosis is like transcontinental. Like they, it, the, the osmosis seems to travel internationally. That's crazy to me how infectious um, this yeah. disease of, of racism and white supremacy is, man, that it can actually travel from one continent all the way to another. But, but I mean, they did call it the transcontinental slave trade, you know? And yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if, if you look at the routes, you know, when, when you map the slave shit, I mean, they, that's like um, probably Europe's biggest uh, cultural export is white supremacy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and look at all the colonizing they did. I mean, these, these slave traders, these slave owners, they're the ones who were also colonizing these countries. Like, that's why... You know, when people say, if you don't like white supremacy, uh, go back to Africa, which is, you know, funny because it said back like you were actually from there. But the second thing is as if it's just something that exists in America, whatever. Like this is a worldwide system. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem is we don't talk about it or articulate it well enough to let people understand that it's a system. I think we, we still, even to this day, don't talk about racism and white supremacy in a way that's complex enough that really highlights that it is in fact a system. We still talk about racism in the form of of um, overt aggressions, calling somebody a nigger, um, personal um, interactions, the personal interactions, the Halloween. Yeah, they make it very transactional. Transactional, right? And so it also makes it easier for for even black people to say, "Well, I've never experienced." racism in my entire life because they haven't had that transaction yet and so well, yeah yeah this whole yeah we're gonna right. have to I'm sorry. at a certain point man get get sophisticated enough in our in our in our thinking and in the way we talk about racism and white supremacy to get people to understand that it's not about the 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 micro transactions it's not about getting called a nigger or seeing Confederate statues or seeing some white guy driving around with a Confederate flag. It's about a system that, um, that suppresses you or also I say oppresses you in terms of your health, in terms of economics, 
et cetera, et cetera. It's much deeper than someone just calling you a nigger, because if it was just name calling collectively, black people would be a lot, probably be a lot better off um, now than we are, you know, but there's a reason systemically why we are everywhere in the world at the bottom of every single economic measure. There's a reason for that. And it ain't just because somebody's calling us a damn nigger. It goes much deeper than that. Yeah, that's why Issa Rae got into a lot of grief. Issa Rae got into a lot of grief because uh, did you guys hear that thing she said where she said uh, Hollywood Hollywood will become more diverse and racism will be over as racist old executives die? Like she's treated as in like these individuals. It all comes down to just a handful of old individuals dying, and then racism is going to be over. And it's like it's the right. fucking system. Like all the laws, all this. Right. Like you can see all those young guys in Charlottesville, you know, yeah, yeah. the new generation, like, you know, they have this unrealistic, uh, yeah, out, yeah. you know, a perception of what racism is, because even if you look at the defi- the dictionary uh-huh. definition of racism, it's not really adequate to uh, yeah. what we're describing as racism. You know right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which is why I think a lot of, you know, people went away from the use of the term racism and started using the term white supremacy. And uh, and and whatnot, because I think intentionally what they did was oh, to make yeah, it to yeah. where racism um, could th- be anybody. Let me let me be, and, you know yeah. anybody could sure. be a racist. Let me be a little uh, more specific. To what Easterly said, she was asked, she was asked about um her solutions to diversity and stuff like that. Like so, uh, they asked about diversity and. And the lack of thereof, and they asked her what her best solution to the Wait issue to. was, and then she said, um, "I'm happy to report we're making progress. People are dying. Roger Ailes just died. He needed to go. It's great. Um, as time goes on, we won't be able to take advantage of it like the younger generation, but it's happening. And uh, these people keep dying. I'm very optimistic on that. People die every day, so it's great. So." Uh, we just need racist old executives to die for diversity to pro- prosper. Mm-hmm. So her whole solution to solving racism is just not to form any type of black politics or any uh, type of black empowerment or build up the black community or do anything that actually... Oh, black Hollywood, in, a black industry that they're in, uh, create an alternative black industry. None of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't create any black alternatives. Don't actually do anything to pro- proactive. Just wait for individual white people to die. Yeah. And, and so if I'm reading her correctly, so what happened to the Hollywood executives that died 100 years ago when the original uh, birth of a nation was created? Um, they died. They're dead. Right. And we still have these issues that we're dealing yep. with today. All of the founding fathers are dead. All of the people who uh, perpetuated Jim Crow are, are dead or on their way out. So where is all this change happening now that people are dying? See, that's, that speaks to the presentism mindset. Yeah, and like you said, and like you said, where are all these young people at Charlottesville, many of them college students, where are they coming from? If it's just about the old people dying. Where are they coming from? It's really a naive outlook. I don't. I don't understand. You know, it's not. It's not analysis based on any type of uh, uh, correct thinking of the situation. You know, if you look at it in any type of objective, you know, form, that don't even make sense. It's some. It's the stupidest thing I ever heard. 
It ain't the stupidest thing I've ever heard, yep, but it's yep. it's pretty stupid. But it's up it's up there. And and this is why I hate this is why I hate those tweets that bougie black people always put up about they put a picture of a bunch of uh black people graduating from college. They put a bunch of they put a picture of black people with Ivy League sweatshirts, uh, and then they'll caption it white America's worst nightmare. An educated black person. And it's like, get the fuck out of here. Issa Rae went to Stanford <laughs> and she came up with that bullshit. Like, if anything, right. if it was such a nightmare, they would not be letting them into the school. I mean, that, uh, like, that, if anything, just trains them to just think of ridiculous things like what Issa Rae right. said in that quote. Like, you know, these schools, it's, it's not a nightmare to, uh, I, I mean, like, they wouldn't be rushing to hire um, these, these black Ivy Leaguers for for these media jobs if that was really the worst nightmare like they know that these people are trained to not be yeah, built they're, 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 they're socially they're not educated they're indoctrinated, they're indoctrinated. Exactly. thank you exactly exactly um yeah i think it was bobby right he said that only white people actually get educated and enlightened black people get trained and conditioned yeah and that's true um I think it was Dr. Jerome Fox that said in that book, Addicted to White, he said that uh, the pathogens of white supremacy are always going to be spread. And until we learn how to effectively assess and counter those pathogens and and stop them from spreading, uh, we're going to continue to repeat the same errors that we've been repeating for the last 100 to 200 years. Nothing will change and this pathogens will just keep getting spread over and over again in perpetuity until we start to get to the root of it and deal with the problem. 